you have your Bibles this morning, open them to Nehemiah chapter 4. Pittsburgh Steelers running back Rashad Manninghall found himself in the middle of a huge controversy this couple weeks ago over some comments he made about the death of, of bin Laden. I don't know if you're familiar with the situation or what he said. He wrote, what kind of person celebrates death? It's amazing how people can hate a man they have never even heard speak. We've only heard one side of the story. These comments about him opened the floodgates of criticism by many people in our country. Many people said he was unpatriotic. He was disrespectful to our military by his remarks. He even lost some endorsements as well. Now, Hall, he, he did come out to clarify what he meant by this statement, as most celebrities do. They have to give a clarification of what they said. In his own words, he says, I was just reflecting on our own hypocrisy. He says, during 9-11, we watched in horror as parts of the world celebrated death in our own soul. And earlier this week, this week, parts of the world watched us in horror as we celebrated a man's death. Nothing I said was meant to stir up controversy. It was, a, it was meant to generate conversation. It was only meant to encourage everyone reading to think. It did make me think when I read it. Because I was up that night when President Obama came on and, and delivered the good news about we finally caught bin Laden. And you know what? I, I felt pretty good about that. I was like, yes, we finally got the mastermind. Justice was served. But then I started asking myself, as a Christian, should I feel this way? Should I feel this way as a believer? Is it unchristian of me? Then I asked myself other questions. I said to myself, does loving one's enemy mean you send justice off to the city dump, never to be found again? Does, does loving my enemy mean I, I shouldn't pray for criminals to be held accountable for the things they do? Does, does loving my enemy mean I just look over injustice and discrimination, just look over it? Does loving my enemy mean I tell my child, just let the bully continue to bully you? Turn the other cheek, son. That's what Jesus would do. Is that what it means to love our enemies? Does, does, does taking up our cross mean we simply become muddy doormats to other people? They just walk all over us and we just take it. Is that what it means to love our enemies? Is that what it means? Is there ever a time to say enough is enough? Is there ever a time for justice, to long for it, to pray for it, to seek for it? Yes, there is. There is a time. And this is what exactly we see in Nehemiah 4 this morning. You see, Nehemiah had come to a place where he had enough already. Enough. He was to a place where he was tired of Sambalat and Tobiah and all of their other guys who were coming to try to hinder the good work. He wanted justice. He wanted these men to be held accountable for the things that they were doing, for their actions. 
So if you open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to look at the first six verses. Now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, burn ones at that? And then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to the preaching of your word, I pray that you would take what is said by your spirit and apply it to all of our hearts and apply it to all of our lives. Uh, We need a word from you, Father. We need encouragement from your truth, from your word. Your word is milk and honey, Father. It's just just not words on a page, Father. It's life to us. We need it in us. We need it, Father. And I pray that we will be at a place where we can receive it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, the enemies of the good work are back. Sam Ballin and Tobiah, they're back doing their old game, up to their old schemes again. And once again, they're there to try to hinder the work, to try to prevent them from building the wall. And so what do they do? They old tricks. They, they unleash verbal assaults, verbal attacks on them. This is what Tobiah did with these questions here. What does he say? What are these Jews are doing, these feeble Jews? Would they restore it for themselves? Would they sacrifice? Would they finish up in a day? You see, this wasn't the first time that Nehemiah had to deal with these two men. Because back in chapter 2, if you remember, it was in chapter 2 where he sized them up. It was in chapter 2 where he put a face and name to his enemies. They weren't enemies in the shadows. He knew who they were, and he sized them up. In in his first encounter with them, they did the same thing, verbal assaults on them. They tried to, to, they mocked them. They made false accusations against them, saying they were rebelling against the king. Were they rebelling against the king? No. Nehemiah had the authority of the king to be there, to do the work that he was doing. And now here in chapter 4, they show up once again. Once again, they show up. The text says, Samballot, who is the ringleader, was angry, greatly enraged, and jeered at the Jews when he heard they had actually began to work. See, he responded this way because they didn't, they didn't give in to his last attack. They still moved on. They pressed on. They persevered on. And so he's upset. And now he shows up again with Tobiah with him to unleash more attacks on them. This time, they taunt them. Those questions that he asked them, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the, the, the stones out of the heaps of rubbish, burned ones at that? Those, that's taunting. 
He's taunting the people. And even Tobiah gets in his two cents. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. They're taunting the people again, trying to hinder them. And they're doing it in the presence of other people again. Sambalat's brothers are there. The army of Samaria are there. And again, their purpose in that is that they want these other people to join in the resistance. To join in, they, to join their alliance against the Jews to try to prevent them from doing the good work. Now, don't assume that these verbal attacks were just an isolated incident and it just happened once. That they just showed up one day and did it. It was constant. Consistent. Persistent. They were, they, the enemy was also following through. Don't forget last week's sermon. We're called to follow through. But guess what? So does your enemy. So does the opposition against you. And this is what they're doing. They're falling through on their plan. They are bent on stopping this work. And so they're going to do what they need to do to do it. And so they follow through as well. They want the Jews to question their efforts. They want them to, to give up. And, and think about it. These workers, they're laboring hard, man. Those of you who showed up yesterday to work, you out there working, you're cleaning, and, and what if you had a gang of folks standing over there taunting you? Oh, look at those silly little Christians working on their little old trailer. Are they going to finish it up in a day? Now, are you happy about that? Is that encouraging you? This is what they were doing to him. They were listening to insults while they work. They weren't whistling while they work. Listening to insults while they work. These enemies, summertime, what I don't like about summer, gnats come out. They all in your ear, and your, they fly everywhere. This is what the enemy is. It's like a gnat, a buzzing gnat that flies in your ears, your eyes, your nose. And at some point, you get tired of those gnats. I don't care how holy you think you are, you're going to get tired of them. You're going to come to a point where you say, enough is enough. And these men were doing that. They were buzzing around Jerusalem, trying to interfere with the workers and their work. And Nehemiah has had enough. Let me ask you, if someone taunts you, what is that person trying to do to you? What's the purpose behind a taunt? It's to anger, it's to wound, and most importantly, it's to provoke you to do something. You see, these men were trying to get Nehemiah and the people to respond in emotional anger, to overreact. They wanted them to, they wanted to anger them and ignore them so much that the people would actually lose their composure and leash out at them to initiate a physical altercation, to initiate a fight, which would play right into the enemy's hands, which would play right into their hands. So Nehemiah had to be wise as a serpent here, innocent as a dove. It would have been foolish of him to allow their tongues to provoke, to provoke him to initiate a fight. Don't forget, the army of Samaria is there too. And would things have gone well for these builders if they would have initiated a fight with an army, with weapons? Who would have won that fight? Nehemiah did not stoop to their level. He did not hurl insults back at them. Instead, he and the people, they stayed Composed, did not overreact. 
Um, when I was a, a teenager, I had a I had a quick temper. I you, I get angry. I used to get angry really fast, and I and that led me to overreact to situations all the time. I, I, and I didn't think things through. I just went with my emotional response, and that got me into trouble a lot. And one summer, I got a wake-up call to where my quick temper and overreaction was going to eventually lead me. See, I got into a, a verbal argument with a guy over the telephone. I can't remember exactly the circumstances or why we were fighting, but it, I do remember there were some insults and a lot of four-letter words used. And the argument kept escalating, kept getting, getting more and more intense. And if I was a little, a little teapot, I mean, I was steaming. Steam was coming off of my head. And basically, the argument was leading to a fight. That's where it was headed. And I remember, I threw down the telephone. I ran into the kitchen. I actually grabbed a knife out of my mother's drawer, and I took off. Up, up the road to where the guy was at. Now, I was a big 300-pound offensive lineman in high school, and I was running through my neighbor's yard, mad as fire. And so I get to the house where he was staying, and I go inside, I go to the, the um, he's at a friend of my house named Gary. So I go to Gary's bedroom door, I'm banging on the door. I say, Gary, open the door right now. Open the door, Gary. Open it. And he wouldn't open it. He would not open the door. And so I eventually calmed down, and I, I went back home. And later that summer, um, I asked Gary, I said, Gary, why didn't you open the door, man? He said, Alex, he was standing there with a bat waiting for you to come through. And he was begging me to open the door. And I wouldn't. And during that whole time, it never crossed my mind that he had a weapon, too. I couldn't see past my anger. And I could have been killed or at least in, seriously injured that summer because I would have walked in blindly. Pow! That was it. And that day, Gary was an angel of God, even though at the time I hated him because he didn't open the door. And after that event, it had, I had to do a lot of soul searching. I was like, man, I need to start thinking things through. Because <laughs> my anger, my quick temper, it's going to eventually lead to my demise. And so, what about you? Are you easily provoked by other people? Do you have a quick temper? Do you overreact? See, your composure is one of your great allies. She will help you from overreacting, giving into your quick temper. She will help you not to say and do things that you will regret later. And what does it look like to love someone that taunts you every day? What does it look like? I think one of the things it means is that you don't stoop to their level and do what they're doing to you. I think it also means you, you don't let them get under your skin and provoke you. Because when you do that, you give them power over you. They have power over you. You say, how, you know, keep in, how does this, what does this look like? How do you do it? You know, keep in mind, Nehemiah was tired too. He had grown frustrated too, but he stayed composed under the pressure. But he vents to God in prayer. He vents to God. 
He prays for justice against these men, that they will be held accountable. What does his prayer say? Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them to be plundered in the land where they, where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt. Let their sin be bl- let not their sin be blotted out before your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. He's asking the Lord to let what the enemies are doing to them be done to let, to let that what the enemies are doing. He wants God to do that to the enemies. He wants him to turn their tongues back on their own heads. Now, I'm going to ask you, is this a Christian-type prayer? Because you read what he's reading here. These are some harsh words from Nehemiah. Give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not forgive their sin. That's what he's asking there. Do not cover their sin. That's him saying, don't forgive it, Father. Don't forgive it, God. What do you make of that prayer? What is it? It's easy to say, well, how can Nehemiah be praying for visions here? Is he totally not loving his enemies? Recall the questions I asked you in the beginning. Does loving your enemy mean you send justice to the city dump? Does loving your enemies mean you shouldn't pray for people to be held accountable for their actions? Does loving your enemy mean you just look over injustice and discrimination? Does loving your enemy mean you just let your child be bullied at school and you do nothing about it? All for the sake of loving your enemy. Is that what it means to love your enemy? No, it does not mean that. But what does it mean? What does it mean? You see, it's love to fight and pray for justice. That's love. And it's love to hold people accountable for their actions and the things that they do. Turning the other cheek to injustice isn't love. Is you siding with the person who's doing the injustice. I know the typical response is that you, you would never pray a prayer like that. There's no way I'd never pray that prayer like that, which means you've never been on the receiving end of a heinous injustice or evil, because if you have, you will. Just, just be, be honest about it. Abuse, being robbed at gunpoint, assaulted, murder, of a close relative, to say you would never say, pray something like that, you totally underestimate yourself. You totally don't realize that, that, that what, what some things can happen to you that would drive you to that place. We all have our breaking point. We all do. What's your breaking point? You see, if you have been a victim of some type of heinous crime, it is a good thing for you to pray for justice, to pursue it, to pray that God will rain it down like rain. And to work for it. And how do you work for justice in our country? You work within the legal system that we have. It ain't perfect, but that's what the system that we have. It doesn't mean you become a vigilante. It doesn't mean you become Batman and take the law into your own hand. Because you don't realize how easy it is to become what you hate. Because we're all sinful. You can become the crime that you hate. You can become the person you fight against. Just like that. If you ever seen um, The Dark Knight, I don't know how many of you have ever seen that. What happened to Harvey Dent? Gotham's White Knight. What happened to their White Knight? 
What happened to him? He fought evil. He fought crime. He fought injustice. He fought corruption. But in the end, what happened to Harvey Dent? He became what he hated. He became what he fought against. And it can happen to the best of us. He became what? Two-faced, right? It can happen to the best of us. James 1.20 says, For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And we can't take it into our own hands. Notice what Nehemiah does here. He, 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 he gives it over to the Lord. He gives it over to the Lord. He's trusting that the Lord is going to work all these things out for the benefit of his people. That God had called him to Jerusalem. He called him to, to be part of building this wall. And so God was somehow not going to let it fail. If he's called him to it, then he's going to somehow sustain him through whatever comes up against it. And it's just not true of Nehemiah. It's true of us as well. If you are convinced that the Father has called you to whatever you're doing, whether it's to be parents, to be, a, to be down here in the village, to be at this church, to be wherever you're doing, if you're convinced that he's called you to do it, then he's going to sustain you through whatever opposition comes in your way. But do you believe it? Do you have the faith to believe it? This is Nehemiah saying, Lord, the battle belongs to you. They have provoked you to anger, God, in the presence of your builders. So I'm putting this in your hand. At some point, we all have to confess, we really don't love our enemies. I love people until they cross me. That's what I really mean when I love everybody, until they cross me. Then when they cross me, I probably not going to take me a while to love them again. And that's all of us. That's all of us. And then just be real about it. You love your enemies as long as they don't cross you. It's really hard to love your enemies. That's why you need the spirit of God in you. You can't do it apart from the spirit. You can't. Because it's not in our nature to do so. And so you're going to get tired of people buzzing around your life. Who are there to harm you. Not to help you. There are going to be times when you cry for justice and pray for it. But don't overreact. And it takes wisdom and humility not to do that, not to, to seek justice without going into quick, losing your temper and doing something you're going to regret later. It all begins by bending your knee, taking it to the Lord. In a couple of weeks, Oprah had a special show about the uh, Freedom Riders. I think it was uh, coming up on their 50th anniversary. And if you know anything about the history of our country, you know the Freedom Riders had a very special uh, role in terms of fighting against injustice and discrimination in the South. And the Freedom Riders, they, they took ride in 1961, basically to, in order to stand up against the injustices that were in the South, you know, the Jim Crow laws, the laws against segregation. And, and so they suffered a lot because of that. Some of them were in prison, some of them were beating, beaten, so, you know, harsh treatment. One of the survivors on the show said, before they left, we signed our last will and testament before we got on that bus because we didn't think we were going to make it back. We didn't think we were going to make it back, but we got on the bus anyway. Each of those Americans were brave, put their life on the line for a cause to fight injustice. See, they didn't, they didn't even initiate any physical violence at all. They were simply riding on a bus. And many of them suffered for that. 
They fully knew the dangers that awaited them, but they got on there anyway. Perseverance, endurance is what they had. Just like them, Nehemiah had to know what he was going to get into before he got on the bus to Jerusalem. He should have known that there were going to be those there waiting for him who was not going to like what he's doing. And at some point, he was going to have to persevere and endure what they were going to do to him for the sake of the work. For the sake of the work. And they did. Verse 6 says, so we built the wall. So we built the wall. We built the wall till it was joined to half its height. While the people had a mind to work. What happened here? They endured the attacks. They, kept, they pressed on. And they pressed on because they were standing on their faith. Trust in the Lord. Confidence in him. Confidence that he was going to see them through. And the same is true for us in the church and what we do. Endurance and perseverance comes from a growing faith in Jesus. Because here's the thing. When we all got on the bus to be part of a church like this, it meant you were accepting what would come with that. The things that come with starting a new church, you were agreeing to be part of that. When you got on the bus to start with a ministry that deals with, in, that deals with issues of justice and poverty and spiritual brokenness, it also meant you are accepting what comes along with that. What comes along with a ministry like that? That you're going to see stuff. Bad stuff. And you're going to feel powerless to do anything about it. It means you ain't going to be able to save everybody. It also means you're going to save some. You're going to see people delivered from all kinds of things. You're going to see people brought having hope as well. You're going to see the good and the bad of it. But you're accepting that. You're also embracing that. It's easy to become the monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. That's easy, man. Because you live in a la-la world. Because you don't want to know. It's easy not to know. But when you're in part of a ministry like this, you know. You see, you hear it, you smell it, you taste it, and you accept that, and you fight it. There will be opposition. And like Nehemiah, you're going to see things that drive, to, to drive you to your knees and say, Father, I need justice. This child needs justice. This mom needs justice. This is not right. Lord, will you come? And you know what else it means in this life? Some justice might not get delivered in this life. You have to wait until the next. That's hard reality. But it's true. It's true. Life never goes according to plan. Church never goes according to plan. Ministries never go according to plan. Raising your kids never go according to plan. Careers never go according to plan. Life is always interrupted. Life always happens. And we can't have enough self-protection around us. We can't ever have walls of self-protection around our life that's going to protect us from life in a fallen world. Do you realize that? You can't. You can't escape 
life. You can't escape brokenness. You can't escape suffering, pain, disappointment, let downs. You can't. On this side of heaven, you will suffer. But we persevere through it, right? We endure to the end, right? Through who? God's Spirit lives in you. His word says in Philippians 1.6, this is a great promise that I want you to leave here with. He who began a good work in you, 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 he will bring it to completion. Not you, not me, in the day of Christ Jesus. He will. He is the one that will lead you to persevere in this life. No matter what you go through, no matter what you're going through now, what you're going to go through in the future, you can't ever lose hope of that. That's why I'm always talking about this has to be milk and honey to you. This, this alone, your relationship with Christ has to be the foundation of everything you do. Everything you do. Because if it's not, you're not going to endure. You're going to quit. Cultivate your relationship with Jesus. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. Time with his people. You need those things, man. I need them. I've said this to you before. If I'm not spending time in God's word, then that's going to be the downfall of me. I have to have more than just writing sermons. If this is all I do for my spiritual life, I'm dying. I'm building on, a, I'm building on sand. This has to be, I need to have time when it's just me and Jesus. When I'm not writing Bible studies or preparing for sermons. I need time when I can just hear my daddy. And so do you. That I can't preach this enough. Spend time in this word. Spend time in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, perseverance, Lord, until the end. I thank you that you would bring us to that place. You are at work in us. And it's not just us alone, Father. And I know, Lord, we, we see a lot of things in this broken world. We, people suffer. People lose things, they lose lives. It's just a broken place. And so we pray, Father, for justice to be served. Things that, that are wrong, we may be made right. And I praise you that in the land of the living, we do taste your goodness, and we do thank you for that justice does get done in this side of heaven too. Not all criminals go free. Not all of them go free. I praise you because of that, Lord. And I pray for each of us and our families, Father, that as we walk out this week and the things that we go through, the things that we experience, you know, people who taunt us, whatever we go through, Father, help us to know that, Lord, we can bring those things to you, that you through your spirit give us the power to love those that it is hard to love, to love those who insult us, to love those that, who, who persecute us. It's hard. We can't do it apart from your spirit, Father. We can't. And so, Spirit, you live in us. Manifest yourself in our life and in our circumstances and in our families. Do it, Father, for your magnificent glory. 
In Christ's name I pray. Amen.